Yes. Yeah. I am, I am like, you know, Tokyo, we call people that are like old Tokyo, uh, Edo-ko, right? Edo-ko, but I'm right. like Toronto-ko, Toronto-ko. Right? because uh, my family moved to Toronto when there were 40,000 people there. John, I truly want to thank you for being here today. I mean, I've known you for over 20, 20, 20, 20, 20 years, years at, least, at least. At least. And I missed out on the chance. Wait, I should tell all of you. I missed out on the chance of having John as my speechwriter <laughs> when I was actually the head of the American Chamber of Commerce. He came to me, and I just thought, that's, come on, to write my speech. And I thought, how many speeches would I be doing? He ended up, he ended up at the same time, ended up being the speechwriter for Carlos, Carlos Goen, the first foreigner CEO of Nissan Motors. And as you might know, I mean, because of all the things that happened over the news, he basically escaped from Japan, and he's now living where? Beirut, Lebanon. In Beirut, Lebanon. Yes, three okay. years I was his. But that's but, but, but that's but let me CCJ. I no, you were TAC when you. No, were, it was both. I'm the you, first you American to do both. Okay, well, I was the speechwriter for two ACCJ presidents, and that's where I I really cut my eye teeth on speechwriting. You mean ACCJ or two TAC AC, presidents? No, two ACCJ yeah, presidents. I know that chance. Ed Ed Riley, uh, who back in 1991, 1991, 1991, I think, and he was president for two years, right. and then Rick Johansson succeeded him. So three years, and the, the, the best part of doing that was introductions for the luncheons, and which are really important. And and once I did an introduction for Bill Gates, and like 15 years later, somebody at the Foreign Correspondents Club said to me. Well, well you, you wrote that one. The intro- I thought wait, that wait, was wait, the wait. best introduction. <laughs> Bill, when Bill Gates came here, you're the one that gave, made his speech, his, his opening. The, 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 the ACCJ president's introduction of Bill Gates. Oh, Bill Gates. Okay, I thought because right. Bill Gates came here, I met him. Oh, at yeah. that time. Yeah, but it was he also came to the American Club. Oh, really? Yeah. And I was up there. Yeah. Now, John, let's start off with okay. where you were born. Toronto, Canada. So you're Canadian, eh? Oh yeah. Oh yes. Eh? I am. I am like you know Tokyo. We call people that are like old Tokyo, uh, Edo-ko, right? Edo-ko, but I'm like Toronto-ko, Toronto-ko. Right? because uh, my family moved to Toronto when there were 40,000 people there, and uh, there are now 7 what year, million. What years would that be? What year would that 1840 be? 1840 something. 1840 something. From where? Um, uh, Scotland and France. Scotland and France. Yeah. So, we, so you weren't in the speaking, I mean the French section of, oh, Toronto. Toronto, yeah. Toronto speaks Chinese now. Chinese, Chinese now, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not French. And Hindi, right, and so everything else. Do you right? have siblings? Oh, yes. Well, oh. I, I, I've got one surviving sibling, yeah. Okay, what, what, but where, I, where are you I, ranking? I grew up you? with, I'm the, I'm the baby, I'm the only boy, of three older sisters, and, uh, and, uh, uh, how many of them are still alive? One, one sister is still alive. Is she actually in order? Is she right next to you? No, she's two up from me. So actually your oldest and the third died, passed away? Yes. Okay. And uh, uh, What so about your mom and dad? Are they still? Um, no, my, my, my father. There's my father here. Yes. Um, my father um, died when I was seven. My mother, my mother passed away in 2005, but my father, when I was seven, but he was a writer. 
and and mm -hmm. um, uh, he, he wrote uh, his specialty was was short fiction, like short stories, and there was a big market for that in the 1950s. Were you really close with your father? Yeah, until age of seven. But see, he died when you were seven. Yeah, and so I am I am a like laboratory rat that proves that, that uh, nature over nurture. Because uh, uh, the only thing that I can do really well in life is I can write, and and like with the speech writing proves it because I've been put in in a speechwriter for uh, several very demanding people, and like day imagine. in day out, like you know, like darts, like hit the target, hit the target, right? And mm -hmm. so uh, okay, I'm not, I've never become famous. And uh, I'm not wealthy. I haven't I haven't written Lord of the Rings or, or anything like that. But uh, have you? I, I managed. To, I've managed to avoid going to an office for over 25 years. Yeah. And I ra raised uh, uh, two daughters right. uh, uh, on the avails of writing. And I managed to live in a beautiful place in the forest. So that's because I've been reasonably your, successful. I've been to your home. I've been yeah. to your home before. And I met your wife then. Yeah, your wife then. And that's when I met Gregory Clark. Yes. Right, who's also been on the podcast twice. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. yes. It was his birthday yesterday. I went to go, oh, I, yeah, I sure did. I sent him a birthday yeah. gift, yes. Because mm -hmm. I went up there um, to his place and did it at his place. You know where he's right up there in yeah. the hill? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah I, I know where yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm about and, 10 minutes and I believe, south of his. I believe his wife now is from Portugal? Or no, Peru. Peru, okay. I, I, started with a P. I, I introduced say. those two. She's the sweetest person. Oh, yeah, yeah. And makes a good soup. Yeah, oh, yes. yeah. she's really nice. So I went to his place and yeah. did it there. It's really nice. Carolina, yes. yeah, Carolina. Yeah. How many years between you and your older sister? Uh, Fourteen. My, my that's a lot of space. My father, my father was uh, Canadian. He was born in Toronto, mm -hmm. but in, in the 1930s, he, him and his best friend, he and his best friend went to England. And because they lost their scholarship, they were both preachers' kids, and they uh, were sharing a, an apartment in university. And they had a fire in the apartment, and uh, the firemen came in and found beer in their apartment. And one of the firemen was a parishioner from uh, High Park United Church. How old was, and, how old was your father then? I don't know. His early twenties. Oh, okay. And, and uh, so they lost their scholarship, so they decided to both de decamped England. And my father uh, joined the RAF, Royal Air Force, in 1937. And um, in, the, the, in the beginning of the war, you know, to the Battle of Britain, to have RAF wings on your jacket was about the sexiest thing there was. And he had, my mother said, oh, yes, dear. And he had blue eyes, this color of his uniform. Now, your father's from where? In Toronto. No, no, but your father, what? What's his ethnic background? Oh, Scottish. Scottish, and your mother's French. Scottish and French. And no, 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 no. My father is Scottish. My mother is Scottish. Scottish, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so you got a double dose. Yeah, All yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, yes. And uh, so, uh, uh, anyway... He was he, an RF. Yeah, and he mm -hmm. just before the war, he, invented, he inherited a little bit of money, and he bought a little Austin Nippy Sports, a sports car. And he wrote, my mother and my grandmother were running this hotel in the Midlands of England near his, the aerodrome where he was stationed. 
and he rolled, the old man rolls up in his little sports car because pilots could get petrol rations because they had to be, and uh, so swept the old, the old lady off her feet, uh, the young lady off her feet, and uh, then got her in the family way and was shot down promptly after and spent three years in prison camp, a prisoner of war camp in, in Germany. The famous one, you ever see the movie The Great Escape? Yes, yes, well, yes, that yes, was yes. The, Steve the, McQueen, the, he was, yes. He, 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 Steve McQueen, there was no Americans in okay, there. Right, okay, they were okay. all Canadians. Know, Those tunnels were dug by Canadians. And um, so then uh, he got back from, in 1945, weighing 114 pounds, met my sister Elizabeth for the first time. I said, this is your daddy, Elizabeth. She said, my daddy's in Germany, and he's going to stay there. <laughs> they had a difficult relationship. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so they, they moved back to Canada, and uh, my father had written, uh, he, was al he was already a writer before the war, and he wrote extensively about his prison camp experience, and he took it to his agent in New York after the war. And the agent, Jack, his name, he was John Norman Harris, Jack Harris. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the agent said, Jack, everybody's tired of the war. Nobody wants to hear about the war anymore. This is World War II. Yes. And he took and he burned all of his stuff that he'd written about the war. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a huge tragedy. Anyway, um, so during the 50s, he wasn't able to be a writer full time because he had, you know, three three young daughters, and then I came along in 1957. So he was the uh, uh, head of PR for a large bank in Canada, and then writing on the weekend, and he wrote short stories that were in a lot of different magazines, and wrote, wrote a couple of books, but. Uh, the he died of a heart attack in 1963 when I was seven. Do so you, do you remember the time? Oh yeah, yeah. He taught me to swim the day before he died, and we were in Vermont. At, at was he a Lake smoker? Everybody was a smoker. Yeah, he was a smoker. But smoker, but they, we found out we the ex prisoners of war were ripped off by uh, Britain's Ministry of Defense, and we we had a class action, sort of like a class mm -hmm. action suit against them. And um, we found out that in actuarial terms, you know, uh, uh, ex-POWs died an average of 10 years earlier than the, uh, the average veteran population. So okay. we eventually got some, a small pension out of that. But anyway, so he was gone for my life at age seven, but... Did your mother remarry? No, no. And she just raised you on her own? Yes. And... Uh, 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 well, we we the the bank turned. Although my father had told the chairman of the bank to go himself right. and and quit quit the bank to become a writer full time. Uh, yes, in in nineteen sixty two, he 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 engineered the largest corporate merger in Canadian history. The uh, Canadian Bank of Commerce and the Imperial Bank of Canada became the Canadian Imperial Bank of Commerce, CIBC, and after that was hugely successful, and he was kicked upstairs, and uh, uh, so he turned around and said, I'll take your job and shove it, and cashed in his life insurance in order to fund his writing. We went and lived in, in the south of France, and uh, 
You Spain. left Canada and went to the south of France. Yes, and I went to kindergarten mm -hmm. in French and. But you said, but you, but you said you were seven when your father died. Yeah, well, the kindergarten started yeah. at seven. Well, well, we had come back to Canada, uh, just before he died. Uh, oh, okay. So this is with your father. You guys actually went to yeah. France. And then you ended up coming back after yeah, he passed. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, I thought, I thought you went yeah. after he died. Okay. Yeah, so um, uh, we came back to Canada. but uh, So I had like uh, great experiences with him in, li in living in Spain and France. How and long? How long? How many years did you uh, we, we, we A year and a yeah, half yeah, over there. Like the, the, that, yeah. uh, I can still remember that very clearly. But what about the language? You didn't speak. Well, I, guess I can speak French. French. Okay, I'm sorry. That's right. So it would be no problem for you. Well, no, no, mm -hmm. but but uh, I, I, that's where it start, started. It started I, there? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But wow. So w how were you like in elementary school? I mean, what were you like in school? <laughs> were you more academic or were you more sports minded? No, I definitely, I'm klutzy. I'm totally klutzy. Not, sport, not sporty at all. But uh, no, I um, uh, was very precocious in terms of reading and uh, from a very young age and uh, like in grade three I had a grade 12 reading level or something. What did you read? What kind of books did you like to read? Well I was very into reading about the Second World War and mm -hmm. all, all sorts of other st stuff and uh, ships and uh, uh, cars and, and all novels of all sorts. Did that I carry just, up to, till now? Hmm? Are you still that way? Are those Pretty some, much, some yeah. Like uh, the, the, today, um, I, I spend so much time generating text right. that when I'm finished for the day, I uh, it's like oh Netflix, bring <laughs> me Netflix. Like <laughs> no, I don't want to look at any more print. Right. Right. So, right. so you're generating it. You're right. tired of it. Like, you, yeah, you've so absorbed. You're, you're all. You have your hard drives filled up. Now you have to get some but, of that out. But that's that's why, like riding the train, like. I live an hour and 20 minutes outside of Tokyo, so I just finished, I uh, read half of uh, a book by my friend who's a foreign correspondent based in Rome about his father, who was a famous Canadian uh, war correspondent uh, about his Vietnam War experiences. So on the way in, I managed to read half this book that just just How big arrived. is the book? It's not. It's not. Is this, is not this book? No, no. Okay, so oh yes, it is. It is. Okay, okay, okay. It is this book, yeah, okay. the, the uh, Ghosts of War, right, okay. which is um, uh, uh, about Bob Reguli, who's a, a very famous war correspondent, and okay. his his son Eric is a friend of mine. Wow. So wow. Not a very big book, but uh, that's good. That's um, good. So, so tell me this. So, so throughout school, you, did you enjoy school? <laughs> Go on. Uh, uh, some parts of it, okay. but what, but what, what, what were the parts that you enjoyed? Um, uh, well, I I still have very good friends from elementary school, but uh, uh, a lot of them, and uh, I but I was kind of a behavioral problem. How was that? How was that? <laughs> and and uh, I was just I'm such a smart ass. I have always been a smart ass, mm -hmm. and I get into trouble so. I remember I was a grade four. Mm -hmm. I was like at that time the the, the education philosophy. The kids were divided up into groups, mm -hmm. and we were in groups. But I was by myself at a desk. <laughs> I was isolated, and uh, so uh, um, yeah, I I mainly enjoyed school. But uh, high school, 
I found um, not very challenging. Um, so I kind of got into trouble in high school quite a bit because I was able to um, uh, just kind of coast through. Right. Did you help other people with their homework or anything? Were you that type no. of kid? Okay, no, <laughs> no not really. So when, you came, so when you came home, you of course you didn't go out and play with your friends or anything like that, did you? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I grew up on this amazing street in tr Toronto and there was an, a thing that came out, an article that came out about living with data, right? So like one, one important decision that your parents can make that affects what happens to you is where they decide to raise you, where you live. Okay. And I grew up on this street, Nanton Avenue in Toronto, Canada, and it was a one block street with 50, about 50 old houses on big old houses and the people that had built them at the turn of the century had grown old and sold them off and they were bought by uh, uh, Second World War veterans in, in the early 60s who all had uh, at least four kids, four to seven right. kids. Right, right, right. And so it was 50 houses and uh, 100 children of elementary school age in a one block street. And the cars, baby boomers, the baby boomers. Yeah, we were, we were classic Most baby boomers. Right, right, right. So at uh, 4 o'clock in the afternoon, cars would come to the head of the street, look down and go, no, let's take the next street. <laughs> right? There's so many kids was, on the street. There hockey Didn't nets. Uh, you, know. you played hockey? Well, we all played ball hockey. Okay, like, right, like, right, right, like, right. Everybody plays okay. at least ball hockey. Okay, okay. In, but I'm a lousy skater, so. Yeah. But no, hide and seek, ball hockey, tag, like everything. And at lunch... Uh, you know, in the morning they'd open the door and let the dogs and the kids outside and just r run around and uh, uh, lunch the mothers of a, I've got the nine-year-olds, I've got the eleven-year-olds, and they'd phone around and see see yeah. where where we yeah. were. But um, uh, so you were very so you were social. I mean, you weren't. Oh, oh yeah. Oh you no. You didn't stay in your room or anything like that. No, 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 no. I I grew up. Uh, in in this tribe, but we're still okay. v still very close together. Oh, really? You still have contact with a lot of your friends you grew up with? Oh yeah, yeah. From from that street, yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, they have reunions. And uh, did any of them stay on the street? Stay over there? No, none of us could afford to live where because that, that's that's, right. that's like um, the uh, poshest area. It's like in Tokyo terms, it's. Denen Chofu, yes, right? right. That's it's, what it is now. Yeah, yeah. well, it, it, it sort of was, but it went through a period in the 50s where were all these big houses, the value went down, and you were able to buy it for, you know, fairly... Mind you, our, our parents, our fathers at that time, uh, were lawyers and professionals and, and, and whatnot. But uh, now, uh, to buy one of the houses on that street had cost you several million dollars. So it's like none, none of us, all of us uh, moved across the, across the valley to the east end of Toronto uh, okay. or, or further away. Right. And, but you uh, keep up with them, right? You keep yeah, up oh them. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so to college, where'd you go to college? Well, <laughs> okay, here's, um, I wanted out of high school as soon as I could and uh, so my sister, uh, uh, Laura, was, uh, had been going to university in Newfoundland on the east coast of Canada, and she had been working on the 
coastal boats, which went to all the little isolated communities all, all the way north to Labrador. And the northernmost communities are, are uh, um, Inuit. Yeah. And uh, well, she was doing mainly the south coast of, of Newfoundland, which, which was um, uh, one of the stops along the way is Saint-Pierre and Miquelon, which is a French island owned by France. And so they had to have French-speaking personnel on there. So my sister got on as a stewardess because she could speak French. She got me on at age 18, and uh, as soon as straight out of high school, I went on and I got my union card, uh, Siemens union card. And uh, so I was ready for uh, uh, a big adventure. Your Siemens Union card? Yes. Meaning what, you can be on a ship now and that allows you to work on a ship? Yeah. Okay, okay. And, right. and I got, uh, you get, I don't know if it's still the same, but we, we got things that were like passports, a Siemens Continuous Discharge book, where they stamp in it, that when you, when you join a ship, they stamp in your book. Okay. And then they stamp when you're, you're, you're paid off. Right, okay. And uh, so, um, I started doing that, uh, and then uh, after doing that How for a season, yeah. that was about six months. Only six months. But uh, going all the way, all the way down to Labrador, to to Inuit country, and on the ferries between the two, um, uh, between the mainland and Newfoundland. But no, then I went out to Vancouver, and the same union had a union local in Vancouver. Okay. So I worked on the ships on the. Uh, West Coast to Alaska. What kind of ships were these? What kind of ships? Well, they so the, the passenger purpose? ships. Okay. Well, passengers and freight taking right. uh, taking people and dogs and cases of whiskey to uh, uh, communities that had no roads. I see. And uh, uh, I also worked on tow boats. You know, they're towing log barges right, and right, stuff right. like. But um, on my nineteenth birthday, we were in docked in uh, Hyder, Alaska, and uh, which is the southernmost place in life. We actually, Stewart, BC and Hyder, Alaska are right next to each other. And the, the, the specialty in Hyder is getting hydrized, <laughs> which is a, like a grain alcohol, oh, like pure al shots <laughs> of pure alcohol. And I'd heard about this, I'd heard about this special fare for students of, uh, from American Samoa on Pan Am, $216 one way from Seattle to Pango Pango, American oh. Samoa. Okay. And on my 19th birthday here in, the, in, the, in this bar in Hydra, I said, okay, when we get back to Vancouver, that's it. I'm quitting and I'm gonna buy that ticket and I'm gonna fly down to Pango Pango and I'm gonna hitchhike yachts around the Pacific. Okay. And uh, so that's what I did. And but how could you? You're not Samoan. I mean, it's it for Americans, right? Anyone? No, no. Like they, they, they say you phone up Pan Am. And they say, "Oh, how did you find out about that fare?" It's like, oh, right, right, right. right. We but can't. Who was, we, who they it, can't who was discriminate. It for, but who was it for? For American Samoan That's students. That's what I thought you said. Yes, yeah, but yeah. but it's designed for them. But they can't. They can't, they can't discriminate. racially they can't discriminate, discriminate with with that ticket. So okay, gotcha. so so I bought I bought the ticket. Flew off to uh, American Samoa, okay. and then hung around, uh, and finally I hitched a ride on a 31-foot trimaran 
uh, with no engine, no life raft, no radio. And oh. uh, we've Western Samoa and all the way through Tonga. Did you know how to sail? Did you know how to sail? You learned. You learned. learned. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had the Siemens card, man. I mean, like I was you crew, no, right. So they had you doing a lot of stuff, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah, well, there was four of us on, on, on the boat. Uh, and um, all the way through t Tonga and Fiji, and it was just me, amazing experience. You enjoyed it? Oh, yeah. It was the best, one of the best times of my life. With the beautiful Polynesian girls under uh -huh. the full moon. Uh -huh. No, we won't go there. Okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, but uh, eventually um, we got to Suva, Fiji, and the captain's sister sent him uh, uh, an envelope uh, filled with marijuana, figuring like, uh, oh Fiji, they do good. Anyway, he was arrested, and uh, who was arrested? The captain. The captain, the captain Gary, where the captain was arrested. He asked someone to send no, him some No, he didn't ask. His dumb sister just like figured assumed, out. Okay, he he assumed okay. And he so got arrested. He, he got arrested anyway. He, did, he never, he didn't know it was he coming. Didn't know it was there. Okay, so what and happened then? So he was, um, uh, they eventually released him. But in the meantime, I, I took um, another, uh, got a ride on another yacht down to New Zealand. And I was waiting for him to get there. And he turned turtle off the north North Cape of New Zealand. And he spent 22 days. Uh, uh, it's a trimaran will still float when it turns over. Right, right. He that's called turn turtle. Turn turtle, yeah. Right, and, because you uh, can't get it back up. Okay. Yeah, you can't get it back up. Right. So, but he he had the the dry food and the in and uh, the water and the tools and the under the under the floor. And okay. So he managed to get in there in the bilge and saw a hole. So and he had what looked like a ki uh, kayak. And, and the only there. reason he was saved after 22 days uh, overturned. Where were, Where were you doing this time? I was in, in New Zealand waiting okay. for him. Okay. And uh, um, so luckily, you know, the Charlie the Starkist tuna boats, uh, they had helicopter spotters, these high-tech And he was spotted by a, a tuna boat. Otherwise, he, he would never would have made Anyway... So I was I was left high and dry, and uh, so I went to the union in Wellington, New Zealand, for the the union for the ferries that go between the two islands of of New Zealand, and they they um, I said that I showed them my seaman's passport and said that uh, you know I was on the beach as they say like without a ship, and he said oh I just uh, I just came back from from Newfoundland, I met the head of your union. Well, come in and meet the, the secretary of the, the, the head of the union. So went in and I was telling about our union, which was the, all the guys who were on the convoys in the, in the Atlantic and in the war. And uh, they went on strike in 1949 and because they were, they were ripped off by the government. Was, some of them had three ships blown from underneath them. Mm -hmm. These are the old guys that I worked with. Like they were still right, in, the, right. in the 70s and, and I said, I told this whole story, and the president sits back smiling. He says, 19, it was an old Scottish guy, Toby Hill, I said, 1949, lad, I was the secretary of the Warfies Union in, in Littleton, which is the port of Christchurch. And I said, I looked after one of those ships for six months. Lad, you're in the union. And uh, so he arranged for me to get my uh, work permit for New Zealand and uh, lent me $100 out of his own pocket uh, to buy uniforms. and. 
the next thing I knew, I was working on the ferries between the two islands in New Zealand. Did that for, I don't know, eight months or something. Okay. Then I went to Australia and hitched across Australia, and I got a job as uh, working on a prawn fishing boat in the Gulf of Carpentaria in the north of Australia. And then I quit that, and I flew to New Guinea, and I got a job as a truck driver in New Guinea, driving up the Highlands Highway. Meepala, so you're, you're maybe 20 by now, or 21? You're 20, yeah. You're 20. <laughs> They speak pidgin English there. Okay, okay. So I had to learn, I had to learn uh, talk pisin. And you're doing this all solo? Yeah. <laughs> I just like, I just went for it. And uh, so you, then... You didn't have a girlfriend back home or anything like that? No, that but the boy had lots of girlfriends. I mean, she had a lot of girlfriends, but I mean, not, along the way, lots of them. Man, was that fun. <laughs> I'd hear yeah, down to here. Yeah, I'd yeah, hear down to here. I was a beautiful. bad boy. Bad boy. And so, okay, so you went back. After that, you went where? To I went to the Philippines, Philippines, then Hong Kong, then Thailand, then Burma, then India and Nepal, and, uh, and then went to Germany where my same sister who, who got me on the boats in Newfoundland. Was, is that the oldest sister? No, no. She was the next one to me. The next one to you, okay. Who right. unfortunately was killed in a car crash oh, a few years later. But, yeah. um, um, she uh, by that time was uh, teaching at a Canadian NATO base in Germany. So I went, <laughs> went and I worked in uh, the uh, Canadian, at uh, this Canadian NATO base in Germany and then went back to Canada and then got a job uh, on a ship on the Great Lakes <laughs> and then ended up back in Vancouver and decided, well, maybe I should go, I was 23 by this, maybe I should go to university now. So um, I was, uh, having traveled around Asia, I was really interested in Asian history, so I went into uh, Asian history and political science what college, what college was this? Uh, U, uh, University of British Columbia in okay. Vancouver, right? Okay. UBC. And uh, uh, did you complete the four years? Just about. Okay. And and, uh, and uh, uh, so I, I wanted to to get an Asian studies major. Um, I had to take a language credit. Sitting there in September in the university cafeteria, I had no interest in Japan. Japan. What a boring country. They're, they're, they all wear suits and ties and do Rajo Taiso on the roof. Like, boring. But, eh? you, but you knew about Japan already? No, I mean, not was, really. I, 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 like, I just thought that that I was interested in Thailand, India, colorful right, places. Okay, okay, okay. Right? And, right. But I was just sitting there. The, but the, you, really, the, did, you the, really did have a slight, slight disdain for Japan. Well, just not, you say no, no, not no, interest, no interest. No interest. No interest. Okay. So I'm looking at the catalog, the course catalog, I'm going down. Chinese, and at that time it was still communist China. I mean, nah, nah, I don't know. Who wants to? And then they go down Hindi. No, I was more interested in South India, so I didn't, well, they don't speak Hindi. Either. And then, then I get down, that's C, H, and I get J. Japanese. 10 o'clock on Tuesday. That's not a bad time. <laughs> Because I was driving cab on the weekend. Okay. Oh, okay, okay. I was a cab driver on the weekend, and so I didn't want anything heavy on Monday. But it's like, okay, well, Tuesday at 10 o'clock, that'd be... Boom! 40, 35 years later, I'm still here because of that idle decision in the university cafeteria going, oh, 10 o'clock on Tuesday. 
But did you really enjoy the class, or did you start to pick no, up the No, I did, like, the, 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 because I'm left-handed, and all the marks were for kanji, and it was like, ta naka sa wa tokyo e ikimashi. Well, test is over. So, but I signed up for another course, uh, Japanese uh, Asia 105 history of, uh, uh, history of Japan. And had the most marvelous teacher, uh, a guy named John Howes, uh, who came here with MacArthur, learned, learned Japanese in U.S. Navy language school from 1942, and came here in 1945, and he was, became a specialist in the history of missionaries in Japan. And, but his lectures were always, they brought uh, Japan to life. And, the experience of contact between the the rest of the world and Japan from the black ships onwards, and uh, he he was my friend from then until his death just a few years ago. And uh, it really? yeah, and but where, he, do you, where do you live? Where did he? He's, he's still in Vancouver, but he used to come okay. here and uh, and visit with And you. his son Christian House was a, is a member of Attack. You made of uh, Christian you, House, great big guy. You know, uh, I'm sure I know him if I saw him. Yeah, you would. Is, you this, know. is he still a member there now? Uh, well, he, he he will be back. He's temporarily in Canada, but okay. he he will be he will be back. All right, all right. But uh, so you're really close with his father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His father was your professor. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the, the the he conned me into it. He made Japan seem like an interesting place. You know, and J J Japan was about to take Japan as number one. Well, yeah, Japanese that might be useful. So uh, myself. So when year did you first come here? I mean, does that well, it, after university? Um, I went, we went back to Toronto and I drove limousine in order to make the money to come here. And oh, uh, so you planned to come to Japan? It, well, the plan developed. And, okay. And so yeah, we'll go for a year, uh, you know, uh, teach some English, okay. make some money, and then go mm. traveling in the rest of Asia. Right. But that was just at the point of Endaka when the, the yen doubled in value and the bubble started. And I got a job as an editor in uh, Kanda Jimbocho, like down the, which is the publishing uh, district of Tokyo. And at that time, it was still uh, Hanshita. But you got the job really from there in Canada? Hmm? You, you applied for it? No, no, I, I came here. I came here with so wait, nothing. So you, okay, but when, when did you come? How old were you when you came here? 24, 25? Yeah, what is it, 1985? Right, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you were about uh, uh, 28, 20, 28 20. or something. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, and uh, so you came here when you with were my girlfriend, who was later my wife, and we wait got, the one that I met. That yes, that's who you came with. Yes. That you had the two girls by. Yes. You've only been married once. Yes. Okay. All right. Never again. Never again. <laughs> no, anyway, no. Okay. So we're we're now split up. Oh, I know, I know. But I met her, and I met your two daughters yes. when you were really young, and we had the stinky cheese. Yeah, we right. loved the stinky <laughs> cheese. And I and I leg wrestled with Greg, 
in your living room. Oh, that's right. I sure did. I remember that. I sure oh, did. I remember I sure that. Did. I said, I didn't know what he was going to do. He said, sit down like this, and we entangled legs. Oh, and then he I made me go to the side. Like, yeah, I held it. We went like this, and we went to the side. And I didn't know what he was trying to do. But I said, <laughs> I wasn't worried about it, but I wanted to see, what's he trying to do? And we went like that. And he was tremendously strong. His torso was tremendously strong. Yeah. And we did that. So I was really surprised. <laughs> but I said, okay, I'm done. No, oh, I, no, I, I didn't. No, I did it, I did it one more time. I said, one more time, because he, he moved me so quick. <laughs> and I said, okay, let's do it one more time. Because I thought, this old guy's going to beat me. I can't believe this. <laughs> and he took me down the second time. <laughs> yeah. I'd forgotten. And your daughters love the stinky cheese. Yeah. And you guys right. had a good time. Well, my, my younger daughter is coming uh, the end of the month. And she is now in medical school. And, uh, you know, the, we, to live out in the, in the forest out in Chiba was, you know, there are no international schools out there. Okay, and, okay. Honey, and so they went to, my two daughters uh, were now 23 and about to be 26. Um, they uh, were homeschooled. In the, in the forest, and my wife did an amazing job at that. Now, your wife is from Canada? Yes. Okay, so she's Canadian. Yes. And she's doing well. She's okay. Yeah, she's, yeah. She's, she's, um, so, uh, they were homeschooled half the time, and half the time they went to the local elementary school, Shogako. And was, a lot of people were saying, well, are you sure this homeschooling thing is at a that good time, idea? At that time, that's for sure, that's right. But, and so people ask me, is, is it a good, I think, it depends. That's like, right. there, there's some people, there are some people that they're lucky if they manage to escape their crazed parents and have a good teacher and a good educational experience. But if you've got if you're you've got the right sort of parent to do it, and and uh, it can be really good. Anyway, my older daughter is now at University of Washington, Seattle, doing her PhD in Latin of all things, and um, my younger daughter Nina, who's coming because she has to renew her educan, her permanent residency, and. Okay. Uh, she were people say she must be very smart. I said, Yeah, well, I'm smart too, but I'm lazy. And she's she works like the devil. She the, the, to get into medical school, it's unbelievably uh, an unbelievable amount of work. And she just the, the MCAT is called the the medical school medical college acceptance test. And she studied three months, eight hours a day uh, for that. And it was during the, luckily it was during the lockdown, so it was a good time to do it. And they wait, wait, wait. She, she was here? No, she, she, they were, They're they in went Canada. back in, in, in to Toronto. Okay. Well, I'm skipping a part, which was the, their homeschooling, their phys ed was ballet, and there's a really good ballet school out there. And, um, all of a sudden, uh, in 2013, my younger daughter Nina was offered a place at Canada's National Ballet School. So all of a sudden, they disappeared, all three of them, my wife and two daughters, okay. and moved to Toronto. All right. And um, distance and one thing and another kind of evaporated but mm -hmm. anyway they um, but your daughter's are gonna come here and stay with you of course when she comes yeah yeah yes okay, you're still close with your daughter oh yeah and we're going I've arranged for her to uh, go and shadow 
uh, the head of anesthesiology at Kameda Hospital. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, so... Uh, because you've just, uh, if you don't mind talking about it, do you? Yeah, no, I, I had, I'm not going to show had, my scar. Right, but, but you <laughs> just had open, open heart, heart surgery. surgery. Yeah, yes. And that wasn't long ago. That was like... That was in January, yeah. In January. Yeah. Wow. Uh, it, it, you know, people said, well, it, it was a very straightforward procedure. It was like there was a benign tumor inside my heart. And it was just, the, the, the cardiologist said, Usually these are only caught at autopsy, <laughs> right? But they had, because I'd had, uh, you know, atrial fibrillation, catheterization of years. Mm -hmm. I went going for regular checkups and they did an ultrasound and they found this thing bobbing around. So they had to take the big hocho and uh, whack, open my chest and take the thing out. So um, it, uh, yeah. It so how are, you, how are you doing right now? Is it oh, painful? no, I'm, I'm not, it took, it took a couple of months to get back on my feet, right, like exactly. full concentration. But no, I'm I'm so back on So you were bedridden for a while? No, well, not not that You're long. Not it's just it's just like brain fog and no stamina and uh, uh, like sleeping eleven hours a night and stuff like that. Okay, okay. But Kameda is Kameda Hospital in out in on the beach in Chiba mm -hmm. is one of the best hospitals in Japan. People people back back home in Canada was, do, do you feel confident about having this done in, Jap in Japan? I said, the Japanese are very good with knives. Have you, is, you ever been to see sushi being cut? Right, <laughs> yeah. So I feel yeah. fully confident. Yeah. My uh, cardiac surgeon loved that. Uh, uh, <laughs> loved that, that analogy. That <laughs> so um, yeah, no, that, that went well. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. So you're doing good, and there's no problems, yeah. no complications. No, no, no. Excellent. It's very Excellent. straightforward. Uh, Excellent uh, procedure. So, so tell us. You you brought your book. You told me your book about your father. Yeah. This is the book on your father. What was the book about? Oh, the, this is, this is a Another a self-published thing. We we collect all. Oh, you his. did you do that or your father? No, my did. sister. My sister. Oh, so he did. didn't write a book. He hasn't written a book. Oh, yeah, he, he wrote other books, but this is a collection. Of, I brought this one because his picture. Is on the on the back cover here, okay. uh, but no, he he wrote. Uh, uh, so th this this is a, a, a nice picture of him. Right, so right. this is a collection of his uh, short stories that he wrote uh, for magazines like Harper's and and in the fifties there were you know right, right, right. before TV really got going, uh, short stories were a big thing and oh, uh, a, a money maker. But no, one one of the books he wrote was. Uh, uh, Knights of the Air, which was all the top air races, British air races in World War One, were all Canadian. Like, Is that right? Yeah, uh, and uh, like nine out of ten, okay. and uh, so they were my father's heroes uh, as a young boy in the in the nineteen twenties. As he was born in nineteen fifteen, so in the twenties, these Canadian areas, and that's what made him want to join the RAF oh, yeah, in uh, in nineteen thirty-seven. So mm -hmm. that was one, and then he wrote uh, a couple of mystery novels, and uh, that did did very well, mm -hmm. and uh, so we lived off the avails of his uh, uh, writing. For oh, really? Yeah, yeah, for the, after he died for a few years. That, oh, that's so, what, yeah. did, what did your mother do? What kind of work did she do? Um, well, she'd never had a job before. Well, she, she was the barmaid at her family's hotel during the war. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, the typical 50s stay-at-home mother. 
But uh, gradually after my father died, she got her driver's license. She'd never, never learned to drive. And we ended up moving out to uh, a small town where uh, 60 miles west of Toronto, Elora, Ontario, where uh, my father's father's family were from and in the, moved there in the 1840s and a beautiful old limestone buildings and we sold our house in Toronto and bought all these old stone row houses and on the right on the edge of a river and restored all these uh, houses and she opened an antique shop and tea shop and and uh, so she was my house now in Chiba is filled with antiques that I in inherited from her. I bought a whole container full of uh, her treasures over, and uh, so you moved from the house that I visited, right? Yeah, that was I was renting that from Greg. From Greg, right? We now. we we bought a place in Onjuku, okay. which is fifteen minutes south of where where you visited, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, I've got a, a one-acre forest property, completely private, oh, and beautiful. Uh, uh, so. Uh, now it's me and my three cats and wild boar, the Inoshishi, they're digging That's up right. behind my house last but, uh, night. Isn't that, isn't that some good eating if you can? Yeah, yeah, we, oh yeah, oh we, we, I've got friends who are hunters and I can get, you can want, you want Inoshishi meat? I get it for free but because they, can they can't it. sell it. Is that right? No. Oh, can't. because it's not properly, yes. Yeah, so, um, but, yeah. uh. Yeah. I, no, I'm okay. <laughs> you want it like great on the barbecue, great on the barbecue. No. My son just got food poisoning or something. He just had some deer meat. Well, you got to freeze it first. But I don't think I don't think he got it from the um, deer meat. I think he had um, norovirus. Oh yeah, and that could be from somebody's nasty hands. It yeah, yeah. Take a whole lot. Well, well, you, and you, because it happened too quick, there. I understand that if you do deer meat, it do, you can't get sick that quick because it takes a while. Yeah, you get it because of the the meat. The but norovirus, it's almost yeah, like yeah, that. and that's what he had. But and no, from both ends, it comes out oh, of both yeah, ends. Yeah, wow. Yeah. But what you want to do with any any wild meat is uh, freeze it first. Okay. Right, because that kills all the all the parasites. Okay. So the, you don't eat it fresh. It's right. got to be for. And did you ever meet C. W. Nickel? Mm, I may have. It's the bearded bearded guy. I may have. The, the night the night the, the fourth. Yeah. And he had old, in the Japan Times he had old Nick's notebook. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, okay. And I don't think I've met him. Yeah. He started he started his own kind of uh, national park, this forest reserve in Nagano. Okay. And he became a really good friend of mine. He's my guru. He lo we lost him three years ago. Oh, did you? Sadly, oh. uh, uh, but uh, I took him to the Canadian Arctic. Is I've got a client who, um, uh, clients and dear friends, this family who run, uh, they don't, we don't call it cruises, we expedition voyages on a 300 pa passenger ship uh, going to Greenland and the Canadian Arctic, like through the Northwest Passage. Mm -hmm. And uh, Nick, as C.W. Nickel was known to his friends, um, <clears throat> his early years, from, he was born in Wales, but at age 17, he was, uh, he was sent as advance man. I wasn't even a man. I was only a boy, advance boy, uh, to Kujuak, uh, uh, Quebec, the north, on the very north tip of Quebec, and uh, for the advance man on a birding expedition, a bird research expedition. Okay. And um, so 
he ended up spending most of the next 10 years in in the Canadian Arctic and uh, with all sorts of adventures. I shot a polar bear wait, once. Wait, wait, wait. Right. From the time you took him? No, no, no. This is when he was young. Oh, but, when he was young. Okay, he okay. was from age 17, okay, right? Okay. And uh, so I needed to, I was organizing this uh, voyage and we were having a t crew from TBS come along. And, like uh, I was in charge of promoting the thing. And um, so I needed somebody like that. Like, I didn't have the budget. Like, like normally oh. you'd, you'd get, take a couple of million yen, right? Now. I finally found his email address and I said, I don't know if you're interested. I don't have the budget. It's a small family-run company, but if you want to come, we're starting in Kujuak, Quebec. We're going to uh, Cape Dorset, Pangnertung, uh, Greenland, da, 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 all these places. Half an hour later, the phone rings. Hi, it's Nick Nickel. I want to go. I don't care about the money. He said, oh, wow. my adventure started at age 17 in Kujuak, Quebec, right, which is then Fort Chimo. And, and, and so, like, the chance to go back there, I'm in, right? So, so he's Canadian as well. Well, he, he was Welsh. He was born in Britain, became a Canadian citizen, and then became a Japanese citizen. Wow. And, uh, How many years did he live in Japan? Do you know? I don't know. Over like 30? 30, over 30 years. Right. And, like, the emperor and empress went to visit him up in, in Naga. And Prince Charles went to visit him. He was the, he was the most amazing character I met in, in this country. And um, he, he loved to drink. And he was, he was the pitch man for Nika whiskey. And he'd come to my house and we'd get the local hunters because he was a, like uh, one of his, his big causes was get, we got to eat the meat from the forest. And so we'd have a big Inoshishi barbecue and drink way too much whiskey and uh, uh, so, yeah. Oh my goodness. God bless so Nick. Charming. Yes. <laughs> how long, so how long have you been here now in Japan? Um, uh, well, remember Gilligan's Island? The yes, yeah, sitcom I On a three-hour no, tour. Right, right. right. <laughs> I'm here for endless reruns on Gilligan's okay, Island. Okay. Uh, so I came in 1985 and then we left in 1993 when the bubble was over and went back to Toronto for seven years. And then I came back in 2000 or 2001. Um, um, and I got a gig uh, for working for Ford and Mazda um, when Ford controlled Mazda. And I wrote for Mark Fields, the CEO of, uh, of um, Mazda, who went on to become the CEO of Ford, and mm. and, lay, and then after that, Lewis Booth, who was the second, who was later the Ford C C C F O, and that was what uh, when Nissan heard about me, they they kind of poached me from oh, from there. So uh, so I've I've been I've been the president of two automakers because right? oh, <laughs> nice. they don't the people the, the FAQ number one was, how much do they tell you about what you, I said like, the stock answer that's less than you might think, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right? Uh, like Gone, you know, Gone has a heavy French accent. Uh, his standard brief was, send me something, I will tell you if it's wrong, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, which means like golf in the fog, like, okay. I know there's a hole out there somewhere, 
right? It's <laughs> like, right? And like, it's got to be at least close to close the green. To the point, right. Okay, that's a respectable drive, right? Okay. Like, if, yeah. if it's way off in the rough, and like, yeah. he would rip. Yeah. He never ripped up one of my speeches. He never. He and this, this is my idiot savant talent. Like I said, I'm not good at anything else, but I'm good at doing this. You told me how you do it too. You said you get up and you go for a walk by yourself. Yeah, yeah. And that's when the ideas start to come. Yeah. Well, I I always say the the I tell clients the best way to use me. It's like, um, don't say, please say this, this, and this nicely. You say, we know there's a squirrel up in those trees over there. Find the squirrel and shoot it, right? <laughs> so um, that's, that's kind of the way I, I work best. And like with these CEOs, like with Gone, the Nissan PR people, like here, didn't, like I'd be doing... Uh, oh, your assignment is Tony Blair and Mr. Gone in Nissan Sunderland plant in England. And the Japanese staff wouldn't be able to tell me anything about, like, well, what's the situation? And, Hold on a second. What, what situation, what uh, constituency does Tony Blair represent? And I look it up. It's right next to the plant. And nobody bothers to tell me this. So this spe speech him and Mr. and Tony Blair on the stage and there's all the assembled workers at the plant there so Mr. Blair you know these people you have knocked on their doors through three elections right that that's the that becomes the opening and uh, I once did him and Putin in opening the St. Petersburg plant and mm. <laughs> like stuff would come over the fence it's like uh, oh what do you do but I've I've worked on it. These my specialty has been uh, guiding CEOs mm -hmm. here, and uh, I've worked on some amazing turnarounds. And uh, Mazda, which the, the, what Ford did, n never got enough credit. And actually, Mazda saved Ford. All of Ford's manufacturing was completely revamped according to what they learned. For both Renault and and Ford. It was like capturing an intact Japanese battleship. They got to see, like, wow, that's how it all works. So they could employ and it, right. and uh, that's right. But the other turnaround I worked on recently was McDonald's Japan. Uh, with her, you were with, with Sarah Casanova. Sarah Casanova. She's she's here, one right? of my favorite yeah. people. She's also from the same part of Ontario that I'm from. Was oh, that right? And, and her uh, husband loves Harley Davidson. Yes, exactly. Ernie. Yes, yeah, yes. yeah. So no, the, the, the she got. She got promoted to chairperson. Uh, I, I wrote for her for three years, but now the um, the Japanese new CEO does all the speaking. So, but we're still friends. Uh, oh, that's beautiful. And so, uh, that's good. no, but the, like the, what Sarah did, the turnaround of of McDonald's she Japan. She did a fantastic yeah. job. Oh, oh yeah. I'm telling you, I have to see her. I haven't seen her since. I only met her. I think once or twice at the American Club, uh -huh. and I was really impressed with her because uh -huh. I told her about motorcycles. She said, "My husband loves hey. Harley Davidsons, and we ride all the time." And I told her about my Triumph, that I have the biggest commercially made <laughs> motorcycle in the world, <laughs> two thousand three hundred cc's of pure power. <laughs> That's right. No, yeah. anyway, so tell me, what does the future hold for John Harris here in Japan? <laughs> oh, oh. Was that the almost future, like, was that like, like from a speechwriter? Almost. <laughs> God, this pandemic 
God knows, like, what what will become of me? Like, uh, <laughs> um, I don't know. I live alone in the forest, and uh, I continue to write, uh, and I can continue to live um, as long as people pay me to write. <laughs> but uh, uh, after that, I don't know. Um, okay, do you I plan on, do you, you don't know if you'll be here? Do you think you'll ever leave? Well, I've got such a beautiful place, and and uh i couldn't afford anything back in canada now like mm -hmm. the, the the land prices are cheap here and and uh you mean to try to duplicate what you have here yeah I right I'd, I'd be in a basement suite if i went back to toronto um so uh, i don't know uh well the way i usually end the podcast john i ask this question what do you consider a good life in japan to be a good life in Japan, I would consider, well, it's, it, for me, I love Japanese nature. Like, pe people come here and they think it's all Tokyo, it's all concrete and, and urban. But out in the forest, uh, I'm completely surrounded by the forest, and I don't play music a lot. I've, I've, you know, have the windows open and it's quiet and I'm completely attuned to the forest around me and my calendar now is the natural calendar that uh, we're just finishing rice planting now in my neighborhood and but the spring starts with the uguisu, the Japanese bush warbler that has this wonderful fruity long solos that they go into but every year and this happened for years I've, I've only noticed this when Facebook threw up one of those memories when when I said that um, oh the first Uguisu sang this morning on March 5th in the morning so the, uh, it was March 5th that threw up this memory and I, oh and I go outside there it is again exactly at the same moment what happens from now, at the bottom of my hill, there's a little river, and uh, it's a famous for its fireflies, for its hotaru. And the fireflies are coming out, and then after the fireflies come the hydrangeas, the ajisai, and then comes tsuyu, rainy season, which I don't like so much. But, uh, but uh, just this cycle of nature uh, for me, and connecting with nature in Japan that for me is a good life but also being able to it's a rainy day I'm tired of being out here in the forest I can come in to Tokyo an hour and 20 minutes by train in from the uh, from the Pacific surf beaches and as I did today to sure. enjoy this wonderful morning with you uh, yeah. Lance thank you very much I want to thank you so much John, for being <laughs> a part of this I want to thank all of you for watching this podcast and remember it's all on loan so continue to reach for the stars because you're too blessed to be stressed <laughs> yeah